The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of the owner, staff, or management of this radio station. Just give us one hour, and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice, and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. As a filmmaker, positive psychology coach, author, professor, and change agent specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cybers Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. On the show, she also focuses on military families and service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and other post-deployment civilian life reintegration issues. So, let's spend some time getting to the heart of the matter on Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about the annoying yellow smiley face. No, 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 no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is all about the heart. Before we bring on our guest today, I want to invite you to join our conversation here live by calling us at 877-864-4869. Again, that's 877-864-4869. You can log into our chat room by going to toginet.com, hit live chat, log in, and find us there. You can tweet at us at at Lisa Kamen or HH Talk Radio or the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Alrighty, let's get to it. Today's show, we are going to go where most of us have never been before. And you might wonder, where is that? We're going to be talking about death, the final frontier of life, and the concept of dying the good death experientially, logistically, and intellectually. So please join this conversation. We are uh, a maverick here with this topic on this show in particular, and I want to welcome our first guest, Caitlin Doty. She is called America's Kinda Dark Sweetheart by the Huffington Post. Caitlin is 28 years old, born and raised on the sunny shores of Oahu, Hawaii. She is a writer, performer, and filmmaker. She started The Order of the Good Death, an online community of artists, actors, poets, musicians, and directors all committed to staring down their own death fears through art. 
The YouTube videos she created for this site, most notably the question and answer series, Ask a Mortician, are what brought her to national media attention. She is writing a book entitled Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory, which will be published in 2014 and is in the process of opening her own alternative funeral home, Undertaking L.A. Good morning, Caitlin. Thanks for being here with us. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And, you know, I um, actually was so looking forward to this topic today because death is something that most of us fear. It's taboo to talk about and certainly never, ever, ever, ever associated with happiness. Yes, which is quite the opposite, as a matter of fact. And and I think the more, I mean, I obviously firmly believe this, or I wouldn't be on your show, that death and good death acceptance absolutely promotes happiness and well-being. I couldn't agree more. And that, and that is why we wanted to create a show centered around this today, because I, I find myself, I'm, I'm pushing 50, I'm, I'm young, I'm in, in good health, but I see, you know, with aging parents and, and, and grandparents and just the way the world has turned, where there's so much uncertainty, where one day we're here, the next day we're in chaos, and the, how essential it is to accept death as a natural part of living and how we can in fact celebrate our lives much more fully when we're cognizant of this process. Right, absolutely. And you know, you said that, you know, if you see aging parents or you see people around you die, the fact is you can in our culture it's actually kind of possible to deny death. We can go around and pretend that it's not there, but it always peeks in. It's always they call the skull grinning at the banquet. <laughs> you, know, you can have this wonderful, wonderful decadent time, but there will still be the skull cloaked in the background in the corner reminding you that you're going to die. So you can either invite the skull you know, to come over and dine with you and just accept it and talk to it and then have it be a part of your life, or you can leave it as the big elephant in the room, which, which creates you know, anxiety and tension because you don't know why you're so upset but there's something there that's plaguing you. And, and often I think those fears and those neuroses do come from an from a unaddressed uh, un, uh, death fear. Well, the, uh, the order of the good death is really, I've been on that site, and it is wonderful. You have amazing contributors that are really uh, exploring this topic from a, a, a highly intellectual level with a lot of humor, with a lot of heart. And I think that that is what this dialogue, this conversation that you and Betsy, our next guest, are really getting into is it it. it creates a sense of community where we can discuss this process of death, not only dispelling our own fears and perhaps some of the myths, but with humor and lightness as well. Right, absolutely. And and in some ways, the Internet has definitely allowed us to do that because before, you know, you could have, you could mention that somebody right around you, but they might be like, okay, I don't know about this this funny death thing you're trying to do. Um, but then when you put it on the Internet, all of a sudden there's people from all around the world who say, yes, I was really interested in that. I was really worried about death, or I really just wanted somebody to talk to about it, or I felt morbid or weird because I was interested in talking about death. And all of a sudden, here's all these, you know, thousands of people who also want to talk about it. Um, so it really, it really, it almost in a way takes the stigma away from the very natural human interest in death. And here, the humor here. element, yeah, yeah, here, here, cheers. Um, and and the the humor element is just because I, I think 
the way that death is in our society now, if I just did a very, very serious, and there are a lot of, you know, if you're interested in very serious end-of-life planning or very serious, you know, hospice or grief resources, there's a lot of that available to you on the Internet and, and in the real world. Um, but but there's not a lot of, of humorous interaction with death or, or lighthearted interaction with death. Um, so I, I consider that a way that people are actually going to want to interact with it when they don't maybe necessarily need it right in the moment. You know, you can, it's something that makes them want to do it maybe beforehand as opposed to, oh, gosh, you know, my dad just died. Now I have to figure all this stuff out. It's something that they may want to do when maybe nobody's dying directly around them, but it's something that can sort of prep them for that inevitable time that is coming for all of us. Oh, well, let me just pause and give a public service announcement about that, <laughs> because I really do think when we are healthy and strong is when we plan for these end-of-life issues. We get it out of the way. We get it out of the way when it's really somewhere so far off in the in the distant horizon that we really can't relate to it. But we pause and we think, you know, this is how I would like it to go down. We create the plan and then we move on, you know, it, move on to the living part of it. Right. And, and, you know, I I also encourage people to, yes, to do it and to move on, but to also keep revising, to keep coming back. Because even even I, as much as I think about death every day, I don't necessarily go into the the depths of it every day. And every couple of months I'll come back and remember the the real truth that I'm going to die as opposed to just the you know, the general every day I'm going to die that I, that I do because this is the work that I do. Um, and it's good to check in and, mm. and say, you know, how do I still feel about this? Are my relationships Because you can have this big catharsis where you tell everybody you love them and, and make some plans for your end of life. And then three months later, you know, you've moved away from that. And coming back and saying, and it's not, it's not, again, it's not weird or morbid to come back and check in and say, hey, how am I feeling about my death now? You know, is, is everything still in place? Have I, are all my relationships still good? Um, everything's still above board here? All the plans set? Um, and it's, it's good to check in. And I think it's, it's a really sort of healthy thing to do as opposed to, a, oh, well, here I am thinking about death again. Well, what I hear you saying is that, that really sort of staring death down or learning to dance with it heightens the awareness of the life experience, that it, uh, it, it helps us be more fully present in the moment with our, with our relationships and, and with how we, we, do, we do life. Right, absolutely. And I think that most people live on, you know, we're talking about spectrums of emotions. Most people live in a really small middle section of emotions where they don't go too far to either side. Um, and if they do, you know, some things like the Internet and television and technology can kind of dampen that. So if you feel yourself going too far, you can go, you know, sneak right back into the into the middle of the spectrum. Whereas when you're really thinking about death, it pushes you farther to the sadness side because you really have to address those issues and face them, but it also opens up this whole other happier side that you, you didn't know on the other end. Yeah. I mean, I, I know for myself when I contemplate death, when I look at death uh, that's happening around me, you know, friends, family, and just out in the world, it pushes me actually personally into uh, um, really wanting to dig deeper into life, you know, to live more fully, to live more in a juicy way, more joyfully. And it, it does the opposite of what I, I, I thought it would do, you know, when I started really contemplating it. But I want to talk for a minute. We're going to go to a break, and I want to touch upon this, the the scenes behind the American funeral industry, you know, like sort of, the, you know, the 
the, the back the back of the house because I think what we see when everybody's crying in the funeral home is very different from the realities. And we're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to explore the good death, the order of the good death with Caitlin Dottie. To learn more, please go to www.orderofthegooddeath.com. On Twitter, she is at The Good Death. And on Facebook, The Order of the Good Death. The tunes are coming. And when we come back, we're going to continue the um, journey to the place that those of us who are listening have never been before, at least the majority of us. Um, you're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress Kamen. And um, Caitlin, I also want to mention, is writing a book, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory, which will be uh, published in 2014, and opening her own alternative funeral home, Undertaking L.A. And we'll ask her more about that when we come back after the break. And here come those tunes. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on T-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, we are taking a trip, an adventure today, down a subject matter that most of us will never have experienced, something that we greatly fear. And really, when we jump into this conversation about death, the final frontier of life, we're learning that it really is about um, leading a contemplative living experience that can help us die this good death. And my guest today, my first guest, because we have another on this subject, is Caitlin Dottie, and she is America's kind of dark sweetheart, named by the Huffington Post. She is a mortician. She is a writer. She is an artist. She's opening her own alternative funeral home, Undertaking L.A. And we, uh, prior to the break, we, we decided we were going to jump into the topic of the behind the scenes, the, uh, the back room of the American funeral industry, and the history of death in 
America. So, Caitlin, let's talk a little bit about what we don't see. <laughs> sure. Well, what do you want to know? I got, I got it all. Oh, you got what's it all? Your, well, yeah. Well, uh, what's, what's your interest? It's just about basically how the industry runs in America. Well, the, and- the industry is a business. First of all, let's just like get oh, right yeah, out there absolutely. and say that. Right, you know? right, absolutely. It's, you know, we should not expect, you know, what is the quote from the benevolence from our bakers and, and stuff. You know, it's, it's absolutely, it's, it's capitalism. Absolutely. It, it's, it's, a, it's private industry. There are other countries where uh, the industry is run through the state or through the church, but in, in the United States, it is a, it's a basically completely uh, private enterprise what I find so interesting about this, it used to be, let's say, in the in the 18th century. Maybe I don't know what, what when the exact milestone is when funeral homes became in existence in America. But let's just go back two or three hundred years, where maybe there weren't funeral homes, and the death process was very different. A loved one would die; they would be perhaps prepared for burial in the home. There'd be a very natural grieving process. The family would come to a wake or a viewing or a shiva or whatever it is that is culturally appropriate, and then the body would be maybe buried out in the back 40. And there was a very connected, continued experience between life and death. This is my own observation. And jump in and correct me if I'm wrong. And with the advent of funeral homes, we sort of passed off or divorced ourselves from this death process and gave it to somebody else to manage. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, and you don't really have to go back two to 300 years even to find, to find that it was actually much more recent, the transition, um, which is something that I like to tell people because I think that it really, uh, opens up perspective because, you know, when you do something, you think that it's the way that it's already always been done. You know, if you grow up in, in a culture where you go to a funeral and there's a, a sort of waxy looking embalmed body under rose lights and, and a lot of crying and then you sing a hymn and everybody leaves in a, sort of depressed mood, if you think that that's, that's how death is done, you think that that's how death is done, when in reality, as little as 75 to 100 years ago, people were doing what you're talking about. People were taking care of the body in the home, they were washing it and dressing it and keeping it there for a couple of days, and then leading a procession to the cemetery. Um, and what happened is, is a couple of things. First of all, during the Civil War, uh, all of a sudden there were bodies that needed to be transported across the country, which had never really been the case before. You know, soldiers, all the ones that had died during the war. And so they brought back this idea of preservation, of embalming. And that was that was great in a way because it allowed um, these bodies to be transported over long distances um, and not arrive back to the families horrifically decomposed. But mm. what that also did is it created kind of a kind of an industry around embalming and embalming fluid and 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 selling the body as a as a product and as a as a visual thing as opposed to this is something the family does and your family takes care of death and as it slowly became more and more of a specific place that you go a specific funeral home where you can pay somebody to do the hard work for you people were i think i think if you know human psychology, I think it sort of makes sense that people were like, "Oh, I can I can pay somebody to do this hard work for me." Like, "Oh, great, let's <laughs> you know, I'm on board, let's do it." Um, when in, when the reality is that that's maybe not the best thing for for us mentally in the long term. Oh, I would agree. I, I mean, this is what prompted me to start thinking about this subject matter. And in fact, the L.A. Times did. Um 
in their magazine several years ago. They devoted the entire magazine to modern death. And I don't know if you've ever seen that magazine, but it talked about, you know, the green movements and some of these other things that are going on in the death industry, but also about the emotional impact of handing off our loved ones to someone else. You know, that very natural grieving process is interrupted. Right, absolutely. And and there's something to be said not only as as far as having the body in the home and taking care of the body, there's something to be said first for the idea that it allows you to, to reassess your relationship to the dead person because mm-hmm. you can see that they're dead, you can consistently see that they're dead over a period of a couple of days, you can see that they've left the proverbial building whether or not you believe their soul went somewhere or not, you can have that there and you can really come to adjust to that idea. And the second thing is that you can you can say, hey, I'm going to die too. You have the experience of, of looking at this dead person and really, you know, in the, in the Middle Ages they had memento mori. They had, um, you know, you're supposed to look upon your own death and remember that you will die. And you know, having the corpse in the home and, and addressing death head on is a way to do that in a very real, tangible way. So there are all sorts of, I, I, can't, I can't speak highly enough of, of the human corpse as, as being part of society. Mm. And, and also teaching our youth about living through dying, you know, and how sure. they can come to accept the, the life process, the, you know, the end game, so to speak, as something that is very natural and not to be feared. It's not that anybody's inviting it in anytime soon, those of us who are breathing, but it, it creates greater uh, acceptance through awareness and the destigmatization of this exactly. very natural process. Right, talking about talking about sex won't make you pregnant, you know, right. and, and talking about about death won't make you dead or won't hasten the hasten the death process. And and in fact, you know, it, it, it's it's like the person who doesn't want to get a checkup for cancer because they're worried they might have it. <laughs> exactly. Like, well, you know, like yes, that that's true, but you're just terrified that you have it. You know, and you're just, you're thinking about it subconsciously, even if you're in denial. So being in denial, it can work for some things in the short term, but in the grand scheme of your life, being in denial about, about anything as profound as death, for instance, is, is not going to be overall healthy for you. Let's talk for a minute about the place of art and death in popular culture. You know, we've seen this resurgence in the last several years about, you know, the skull and crossbones. It's everywhere. I think it was made popular by one of the uh, big runway designers, John Galliano, had done a scarf several years ago that I think probably set this in, in, in motion for mainstream society, especially fashionable for young, young girls, teenagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think there's a huge place for death and art. I think that when you when you are obviously, as we've talked about, divorced from death and culture, I think that you need to sort of talk to culture on its own level. So you need to, you know, what, what is culture like now? It's people learn things through through online video. They learn it through uh, art. They learn it through the Internet. They learn it through all these different mediums. So you kind of have to, to meet them, meet them there, um, as opposed to, you know, just saying, you know, I, well, I'm, I'm going to talk about death in this very real, authentic way, by, but then you're kind of talking to an empty room. Um, so I think that you really, you know, which is, you're just kind of talking to yourself in your apartment, which I did for years, absolutely. I've talked about myself, you know, talked about 
death to myself for, for years and years. But when you really put it out there in the public and you want to get a conversation started, you have to, to use ways that the public relates to and are, are willing to, to, to talk about. And, and art and the Internet are two ways to really strongly do that. Do you think that concepts of death that are reflected in contemporary art are also a reflection of the artists and young people, um, their, I don't know about the, you know, fears of what's going on in contemporary society, but certainly, you know, the, the wars that have been going on in the last 10 to 12 years, the uncertainty of our, our daily life and the recession and the unknowns of life get manifested through art, of course. And I'm wondering if you see more and more of it with your contributors or what collectively your take as the order of the good death is, is on this subject. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, absolutely. I think that there's, there's a, I've just, even in this three of doing this for about two or three years now online. And then before that, obviously offline. Um, but there's just been, I think a huge, up, even in just the last year, there's just been this huge upswing in um, and when I when I first started doing this, I hesitated to call it a movement or hesitated to call it a you know a, a group that was really that was real because you don't want to come in and declare that this is a movement of, of art or 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 literature or, or a communal thing about death. Um, but the more and more people that join and the more and more people that are making art or, or joining the conversation, the more that I'm kind of more comfortable saying that I think that there is really something afoot driven not only by young people, but by older people who um, just feel like the conversation has been stifled for too long and that the uncertainty is kind of crushing if you can't talk about how uncertainty can be a good thing. And can govern the, 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 the good life that, that culminates in the good death. That, you know, if we see that the good death is a, is a process of, uh, at the end of a good life, it makes us be that much more appreciative, grateful, um, and in command of the experience that we get to create while we're living in exactly. the Exactly, yeah. In an out-of-control world, you can't control when you're going to die. You can't control, you know, for the most part, you can't control when you're going to die, how you're going to die, the circumstances surrounding it. But by preparing for it, you know, intellectually and emotionally, you really can regain this sense of control that's really powerful and the sense of, and your sense of your own life and death really come into to more control when you address how out of control it can be, which seems counterintuitive, but, but really does work. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I get it. Let's talk a little bit about smoke gets in your eyes. Give us one of, you know, one quick story that comes to mind because we are running out of time, a quick, like, 10-second snippet of a, a, a funny moment that, that, that around death you can share with our listeners. Oh, a fun, well, <laughs> a funny moment. Okay. Um, oh, so much pressure. Um, oh, and I, yeah, well, I may have to cut you off. Ah, sorry. That's kind of how death is, though. Oh. You never know, the, you never know when the, you're going to get cut off. There is the funny moment, and you never know when you're going to get cut off. You're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. And our first guest on the uh, the death tour today, Caitlin Dottie. And to learn more about her work and this incredible dialogue that she's began, please go to www.orderofthegooddeath.com, Twitter, at The Good Death, and on Facebook, The Order of the Good Death. And I guess we will have to wait for the book, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, and Other Lessons from the Crematory, um, 
to read about your funny moments and other more serious pursuits uh, while undertaking L.A. Thank you, Caitlin. Here come the tunes, and we're going to carry on the conversation in a minute. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. likes to win, enter our weekly contests at Harvesting Happiness on Facebook, where we give away our guests' books, music, film, and products each week. In addition, we also do great Harvesting Happiness giveaways, like free coaching sessions with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, Lisa's Books, Happiness First Aid Kits, H-Factor Where Is Your Heart documentary film, Happiness is an inside job product, including the Sterling Silver Infinity Bracelet that benefit Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, a nonprofit whose mission is to assist our returning military personnel and their loved ones challenged by combat trauma and other post-deployment reintegration issues. Join us at Harvesting Happiness on Facebook. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. If you are just joining us now, I really urge you to download the podcast of this show because we are talking about a very interesting topic, not for the faint of heart. No, no, no. We don't do faint of heart here. We are talking about death. And you might think that that's a funny subject to uh, speak about on a show dedicated to the pursuit and cultivation of happiness, but not really. You know, when we think about happiness and creating a life that is filled with uh, uh, thriving and flourishing and, and sustainable well-being, really that involves being command, in command to the best of our ability of how we want our end-of-life issues to roll. So, you know, we live our lives fully, fully cognizant that things can be extinguished or changed radically in any moment. And how do we do that? What is the process? And we're t- we talked earlier with Caitlin Dottie of the Order of the Good Death. And now we're going to talk with Betsy Trapasso. Betsy is an end-of-life guide. She assists the dying in making a peaceful transition from this world. She is also the hostess of Death Cafe L.A., 
where people gather to talk about death and life while enjoying amazing food and cultures of the city. Betsy's passion is to change how we view death in the United States and that people may be less afraid of dying if they learn about other cultures and their views that death is a natural part of life. And we talked about that earlier in, in, in the show, about how in American culture we sort of sanitize the death process by handing off our loved ones um, to be prepared for the funerary process, thus separating ourselves from death and making it a little bit more easy on the one hand to deal with death, but on the other, separating us from this grief and mourning process that is so natural and a part of living. Betsy is producing a feature-length documentary about the death views, rituals, and ceremonies of other cu- cultures and countries. Good morning, Betsy. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, good morning, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Oh, this is this is a really, really important conversation, and I would like people to know a little bit about your background, because you started in hospice care when you were a very, very young woman. Mm-hmm. You, have a, you have a very interesting story. That's why what I'd love for you to share. Sure. Um, yeah, I started in hospice right when I turned 30, which back in 1994 was young. Um, Nowadays, younger people are are getting started in hospice. I'm seeing it, which is wonderful. Um, But how I had actually gotten into end of life was that the very first hospice in the United States is in my hometown of Brantford, Connecticut. It's called Connecticut Hospice. And my grandfather was mayor of Brantford and um, when the very first hospice was coming to the U.S. and he really wanted it in our hometown. So I watched the hospice movement come um, to the United States and I would go to the meetings with him and just, you know, had learned about hospice way before anybody else had known about it. And then um, many years later discovered that this was my calling and my passion. So I always kind of say that this end of life work is in my blood and in my family, and I was destined to do it. Then talk a little bit about the advocacy movement to change end-of-life care, because it's very different now than it was, say, even 10 years ago. Oh, definitely. And as Caitlin was talking about, and it was a wonderful interview with Caitlin, she's amazing. She is. (laughs) (laughs) Because she knows the technology, you know, which is like, I'm not that great at. But it's definitely like with the social media and Twitter and Facebook and everything. Um, Because I've been, I always love to say, I've been talking about end of life, you know, for, you know, ever since I was little and over, you know, 20 years ago talking about it, but with the advent of technology and, you know, social media, we're all able to connect all over the world, the people who are doing the end of life movement. And it's so wonderful because before you kind of felt like if, you know, you knew the people in your area and your city, but now with the advocacy movement of having to change how people view end of life and how we do end of life, um, it's really wonderful to pick connecting with these people who are all wanting to do the same thing that I'm doing, which is to talk about death earlier, be prepared earlier, get things in order so that when it does come, we're working on, you know, other things. Um, So it's, you know, I love people like Caitlin who've come along and are getting the movement talking. 
getting the movement talking and really um, doing it with with a hip edge. And that's what I like about it. It's like, you know, pulling the sheets back and exposing, you know, the elephant in the room and saying, look, here it is. Let's talk about it. Let's laugh about it. Let's create around it. Let's celebrate it in service to living which is really the, the, the essence of all of this. And I want to ask you, what are some of the greatest lessons your dying clients have taught you? Uh, well, there's so many. <laughs> um, but I think what I love, because I did start it, you know, when I was 30, so they really loved taking me aside and saying, okay, you're young, let's teach you about life and how you need to do it. And so I really love that. Um, you know, a great big thing for them was to teach me was definitely, um, you know, live your passion, live what you want to do. So many of the dying had really been in careers or jobs that they didn't love, but they stayed in them because of the security or, you know, the need to make the money and the support, the family. So that was something they really taught me was, you know, live your life, live your passion. Um, a huge thing also was, you know, traveling. A lot of them really wanted to travel. And, you know, back then, this is 1994 when I started, was that, um, you know, you waited for your two-week vacation or you waited till you retired to do traveling. And a lot of them were dying before they were of retirement age. And they never got to travel or see things they always wanted to see or do things they always wanted to do. So they really instilled that in me. Do what you want to do now. You know, don't wait. Um, and they say, if you don't like your job, leave it. If you don't like the person you're in a relationship with, leave them, you know? Um, and it was really a great eye opener for me. It's kind of how I had thought, but they really, um, you know, it really struck home with me hearing it over and over consistently, you know, in the United States, we have a very different way of, of doing life than a lot of other countries. Indeed we do. And, you know, what, what strikes me about what you've just shared is this sense of liberation, that the, the, the sharing that or the pearls of wisdom that you were given consistently are about liberating yourself before the final liberation in death. You know, don't wait for death to be the final exit strategy. You know, do what it is that, you're, that your heart drives you to do while you're living, to celebrate and be liberated and free. Exactly. To ha be happy, right? This is the whole to point. Be happy. To be happy. Do what makes you happy and be true to yourself and what you want to do. And, you know, a, a great thing they would always tell me and, and something that was very hard for me to hear was sometimes they didn't get to fulfill their happiness because someone in their life, whether it be their spouse, their child, um, you know, their work, just said, oh, I, you know, I want to go somewhere. I want to do this. And the spouse would say, well, no, I don't want you to go. I want you to be with me. Don't take your time off. Don't go do something on your own. We're a couple. And so that always really struck with me, the people who would say, and my favorite thing is this guy just wanted to do something so simple as go fishing on the weekends. And his mm -hmm. wife was saying, no, you have to be with me and do this. And he's like, I just always wanted to go fishing. And, you know, so you, you hear these stories about people fulfilling their dreams. And his was so simple you know, where yeah. we live in LA and there were lakes and there was ocean, he could have gone fishing. And so it always struck with me. It doesn't even have to be these huge dreams, these big bucket list things. It was, it could be just so simple. And so I really learned to, you know, um, try and convince, I was also a psychotherapist and trying to convince couples to let each other fulfill their happiness, fulfill their dreams, honor them with their wishes of what they wanted to do while they were living, 
you know, and saying it's not a reflection of the couple if someone wants to go do something by themselves or, you know, your child wants to go do something, it's not a reflection of the parent. Let them, you know, do what makes them happy. Because death comes at any age. You know, that's also the thing. We like to think that it's just the old people, but I had many clients who, you know, were dying at 18 and um, just tried to make the most of their life at age 18. Exactly, because we never know, and and none of us knows what the curriculum is, you know, till we till we jump into the uh, the work study program. Let's talk about the Death Cafe movement because that is how I discovered you. You are part of this movement that I believe originated in England, and it is fascinating what is going on around the world with this. And and I am sure most of our listeners um, don't know about it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, it's a wonderful moment. I love it. Um, and actually, yes, John Underwood in England started the Death Cafe movement, but he had actually gotten the concept from Bernard Critaz, who is a Swiss sociologist. And Bernard Critaz would just do the very European thing, was gather people in cafes and, you know, talk about um, issues. And his thing was to talk about death. So John Underwood had read about Bernard and um, decided he wanted to take the concept of the Café Mortal and um, bring it to England. And so he and his mom, who's a psychotherapist, Sue Barsky-Reed, they had the first death café in their home, just gathered some people. And the whole concept is so simple. I love it. It's bring people together, talk about life, talk about death while enjoying tea and cake. <laughs> you know, yeah. so because it's, it's in England, it's tea and cake, and so we have that version of it in the U.S. of you know whatever drinks or food. Um, and so Lizzie Miles, who's a hospice social worker in the U.S., read about it and decided she wanted to have the first one in Columbus, Ohio. And from there, we've all read about it and held death cafes, and they're being held all over the world. It's it's really wonderful to see. And the LA Times did a, a couple of really amazing articles on Betsy, and that is how I came to know her about the work that she's been doing in hospice care, but and more recently with the death cafes and people of all walks of life just really coming and exploring death and death from the angle of grieving or death from the angle of curiosity or death from the angle as a, just a social conversation. And this is what has piqued my interest in Betsy and Caitlin's work because it is such an important part of life and such an important part of happiness. We are going to go to a break and when we come back we're going to carry on our death our death chat today with Betsy Trapasso. To learn more about her work, please visit Betsy Trapasso.com and that's B-E-T-S-Y-T-R-A-P-A-S-S-O.com. On Twitter, she is at Betsy Trapasso and at Death Cafe LA. On Facebook, it's Betsy Trapasso and uh, end of life guide. Um, and I wanted to make a couple of announcements. Uh, speaking of happiness and living and life and the work that we do with veterans at Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, Reboot, our online community combat trauma reintegration program is alive and kicking and we are almost to the end of our first cohort. There'll be another starting later this summer. To learn more, visit hh4heroes.org. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. 
Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Do you like Lisa's take on happiness, well-being, and human flourishing? Join us this spring as Harvesting Happiness launches online classroom programming where Lisa Cypress-Kamen will offer her workshop series across the globe and from the comfort of wherever you are. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for more details. A part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the medical center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. We are back. If you are joining us now for this fourth and final segment on the subject of death, please download this podcast. It is not morose. We are talking about the last frontier of living, but we're exploring it from a very celebratory angle. And I urge you to listen to the amazing words of Caitlin Dottie and Betsy Trapasso. So we are talking with Betsy, who is a, I'm going to say you're the death specialist. And I know that that sounds sort of morose, but I'm trying to have a little humor here. You are, um, you, you are uh, an end of life guide. You you work in hospice. You're also the hostess of the Death Cafe LA, which is part of an international movement, the Death Cafe movement. You are also a film producer and you're creating two films about hospice and palliative care and what makes a good death. And talk to us a little bit about these two film projects. Mm-hmm. Sure. And just one thing I want to say is I'm no longer affiliated with any hospices anymore. Ah. I'm, I'm kind of an adjunct to hospice care. I've gone out on my own and become an entrepreneur. As an She's a free agent. You're I'm a free agent, exactly. <laughs> so that I can be an adjunct to hospice, which is how I love to say it. Um, and I call myself a death detective, kind of, because I'm always trying to find out what everybody needs and you know what will help them let go and bring happiness to them and the family and letting go. So... Um, yeah, so also a film producer because, um, you know, in all my years of working with the dying, they always said to me what they wanted me to do. And what they really wanted me to do was help change the culture in the U.S. about around death and dying and how to make it better for them and for their families and the caregivers. Because it's not just, you know, the dying person, it's also the family, the caregivers and everyone involved with the death. So um, being... 
having worked as a hospice social worker in Los Angeles, I worked with all the different cultures and ethnicities and spiritualities and religions and just decided what I really want to do. I saw some did it better than others. And Oh, well, tell so, us about that. Who's, so doing I, death, so, who's doing death better? <laughs> yeah, well, that's why we're going to go around the world and film. <laughs> so this is what I want to do is go film the different cultures who actually, you know, some of the Buddhist cultures where they actually talk about death from the very beginning of life. So it's not something to be feared at the end. And there are a lot of cultures where death is such an intimate part of life that it's not this huge, scary thing at the end because they've been preparing for it their whole lives. So this is what I want to do is go around the world, film the different cultures, um, see how they view life, see how they view death. You know, at the end, are there rituals and ceremonies that might help the people in the U.S. and other countries not be afraid of death? Look, this is how they do it. Can we do it that way here? So we might change it, you know, be an advocate. Um, I was interviewed by a Japanese news magazine and the reporter said, well, in Japan, you know, we're Buddhists and we talk about death from the very beginning. And she was fascinated by the need for this concept of a death cafe because they talk about it all the time. So it's really interesting. Um, and within, again, the U.S., you know, we're such a youth-based society, right? And so we we don't like looking at the elderly, the, the old people. So um we're going to be doing that. And then there's also a short film that we're trying to get funded on Indiegogo. Our campaign is almost up of just, there's this um, great guy, Mark Dymore, and his wife died on hospice care. And he came to my two fellow producers and I and said, can we make a short film that will be educational to show physicians and hospitals and community people what hospice care truly is about? And it's not to be feared. And it's amazing. So it would be an educational short film that we would give away for free, you know, oh, to show people beautiful. what hospice and palliative care is. And you don't need to be afraid of it. And because um, people, you know, don't really have an understanding of what hospice care is so it's a, it's a way to do it and give to the community and give to everyone well these are two amazing projects um and i hope you'll come back and talk about them um as they progress and when they're complete and let us let us help spread the word let's talk about fears that people have about death and dying and not just the one like you know the lights go out I mean, let's talk about yeah, let's exactly. talk about the re the real fears. Is it is it about the fear of pain, the fear of suffering, the fear of leaving one's loved ones? What are the top fears that people report? Oh wow, there's just so many. Um, I, I, it really depends on the age and your life and your outlook. Also, um, you know, having worked with younger people, I found that they were more okay with letting go and people, you know, dispute this with me, but I felt like they knew they were here for a short time. Um, I also work in a spiritual way too. I am a psychotherapist, but I don't really focus on that anymore. I'm much more of a spiritual and um, way of looking at things. So it can be a little different, but um, it, it really is. I mean, a lot of times it's not even the fear of dying. It's the fear of being sick and in pain. You know, people don't, who wants to be in pain? No one wants to be in pain. And that's why hospice care is so amazing because you get the nurses and the full team and we're able, they're able to relieve, you know, the physical symptoms of pain. I would deal with what I would call sometimes psychic or existential pain. 
because if someone hadn't lived their life fully happy and so they're afraid of dying because they didn't get to live their life and they want more time to go live their life and do the things they didn't get to do so that was really common so that's why I was able to explore with them well let's see what you did that really did make you happy and let's focus on that um, with it and then of course you know I did have young moms and young dads dying who are leaving young kids behind you know and that always tore at your heart because they didn't want to leave their kids they didn't get yeah. to see them grow up and they're like what are they going to do and you know nowadays it's amazing in those days you know, we didn't really have anything but now there's the videos and you can leave videos and you know record everything and uh, the, you know with the advent of all of these great inventions and things it, it, there's so much more to leave behind now for the people um, this is a very good point this is a huge point yeah, about the videos and podcasts and filming things and legacies and it's really amazing and wonderful because before people are just like are they going to remember me like we might have a picture you know that would that would be it you know I started when there weren't cell phones right you know I worked with a pager and, and <laughs> a pager I remember those a pager you know so um it's just really wonderful what's available now and I'm recording it. And um, so the fears are really is, I, I think a lot of is around your topic of happiness is yes. that if you lived your life happy, the fear doesn't seem to be as great as you're older. A lot of people who live with regrets so the things they didn't get to do, oh, you know, that that's a hard one. Um, you know, it's also your religious belief. If you believe you're going to heaven, if you believe there's a hell, if you're an atheist and you think this is the end, you know, you just deal with, um, you know, so many different issues with people. You know, I had some people who believed in hell and they thought they might go to hell. So you really work hard with that. And sometimes someone who had died from the other side would come to them in a dream and let them know, no, there is no hell. It's going to be okay. So they did a lot of my work for me was the people from the other side. <laughs> you know? like coming, And I truly believe, you know, the spirits and the deceased do come to the dying people. But you have to be receptive. Transition. I mean, this is yeah. the, other, the other thing that, that I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we're, we are running out of time. But I want to make this sure. one point about um, the receptivity to spirituality or the presence of other dimensions when mm -hmm. people are nearing the end. It is very interesting how that works. Exactly. And there's been so many books written about it. Um that you know, people dying and I've seen it practically with everyone you know that the, that happens and they come whether it was a spiritual person or not I would see it happen with people so um and that relieved their fear and what you're talking about fears you know that was a great help Indeed. that I saw yes yeah and I also want to mention um we're having a week a series of events this week in Los Angeles we've got some of the death and dying people um together and we've been holding events all week long which has been really amazing the community is coming together in Los Angeles so we've called it preparing for the big departure <laughs> you know? oh wow so, yeah so I did a death cafe and we're having a death and dying dinner party there's an event tonight about hospice at Froggies in Topanga that's free I'll be speaking about my role as the hospice social worker when I was at um, so it's been an amazing week so more people are talking about it and I know Caitlin's they're having their death salon in October in Los Angeles with the order of the good death so that's something else 
Now, this conversation is so important, and I am really grateful that the two of you came on the show to talk about, you know, death and really in the context of happiness and life. And the moral of the story really is, you know, carpe diem. It really is these Latin words that ring true about seizing the day that, you know, to find your bliss, to follow your bliss, as Joseph Campbell said, that if we can live as fully and completely and really ring, ring our lives dry while we're here, that the process of stepping into the next dimension, while it's uncertain and scary, it is a little less fearsome because we have lived well in, in our lives. Exactly. That is so true. You put it perfectly. Well, I, uh, I, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this since I read the article and had the pleasure of connecting with you. I was like, you know, how do we tie this together? Because I see it from where I sit in my happy hot seat over here. But others who really don't want to talk about death may say, oh, what, what is Mrs. Happy doing talking about death? And I think the conversation is critical because it makes us live more fully. Exactly. And that's what the Death Cafe movement is all about. We come together and people really laugh and enjoy it because they're finally free and to talk about it. And they talk about what they want to do in their life to make them happy before they go. So it's, it's so true. We focus right. on the happiness part of it. We, have run, we are running out of time. I want like the top three practical tips for being prepared for, for your own death or the death of a loved one. On the spot, putting you on the spot. <laughs> well, <laughs> the, top three well, well, the whole thing is like advanced directives, you know, have everything in writing about what you want done. That's so important because then everybody knows and they're not guessing. And um, so there's the advanced directives, a will, a living will, the paperwork. Because in the US, it's not just easy to die. <laughs> so that <laughs> really isn't, there's a lot of legal issues. <laughs> and um, also live your life every day and be okay in your relationships with everyone so that if it does go, it can even be in an accident that you're okay with it. Um, that's something I think is very important for everyone. And then again, be true to yourself, be happy, live the life you want a life. So when the time does come, um, like you said, carpe diem, seize the day, and so it's the legal oh, things, perfect, relationships, perfect. and make yourself happy. We are out of time. To learn more about Betsy Trapasso and her amazing work, visit BetsyTrapasso.com, on Twitter at Betsy Trapasso and at Death Cafe LA, on Facebook, Betsy Trapasso, Trapasso End of Life Guide. And thank you. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen, Betsy Trapasso, and Caitlin Dotty wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Remember, until next time, happiness is an inside job. Nobody got no time anyway Somehow Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Join us every Wednesday morning live at 10 to 11 Central Time here on TogiNet Radio. Then harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with free downloadable podcasts